Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. Amen. How many brought your Bible with you? I hope that you did, and I want you to use it today like you've never used it before. I want you to check every single thing I say today, not just for checking me out. That's okay to do that. that that's okay. The Bible talks about the prophet speaks and others sit by and judge. That's okay. Check me out. I'm all for that. But uh, other than that, I want you to dig into it because you're digging up life. You're digging up words of life that will invigorate your heart, mind, soul, and spirit that literally will change your life. Let's make our confession. Everybody say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, the incorruptible, the ever-living seed, the Word of God, and I'll never be the same. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, shout hallelujah. That's good. I almost wasn't going to ask for a second, but let's do it anyway. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. That's sounding great this morning. Open the scriptures with me just real quickly, and then I'm going to go another way. But look with me in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, and I just want to read you a preparatory verse. Turn there. If you've got a Bible, open it. Turn Proverbs chapter 4. If you've got an iPad or if you've got an iPhone or an Android or some other type of method that you look into the Word of God, tap into it load it up bring it up get it there so that you can see it in Proverbs chapter 4 and then verse 20 is where I want us to look Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20 the Bible says my son how many are children of God say I am if you are my son attend to my words be attentive to the words tune in whatever frequencies have been going through your mind heart and spirit this week this day tune them out and tune in. I don't think they have it anymore, but years ago on the televisions, they used to have tuning, and then they had another button called fine tuning. Fine tune in this morning. Fine tune in to the Word of God, where you're definitely, precisely, and locked on. Before they ever beamed anybody up to the Starship Enterprise, they make sure they were locked on to them, didn't they? And before you ever beam this Word in your heart and spirit, you're going to have to lock on to it. And so get locked on. Notice what he said, let them, or my son, attend to my words, incline your ear unto my sayings. Lean into the word of God this morning. Lean toward the word. Make an effort to lean toward the word. Let them, the word, not depart from your eyes. Keep it where you can see it. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Notice what's happening. Your ears are involved because you're listening. Your eyes are involved because you are seeing. And now your heart is involved because you are depositing and storing the word of God in the midst of your heart. Why should you do this? Scripture says, for they are life unto those that find them. I'm looking. Everybody say, I'm looking. I'm looking. They're life to those that find them. 
I am looking, and it's health to all their flesh. It makes you healthy in your flesh. It even affects your body. Somebody say, well, church is just spiritual. We've got other things for finance and other things for physical. No, no, the word of God affects your spiritual man. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. But it also affects your body physically. Your physical world is affected by your relationship to the word of God. That's where it's at, by the word of God. Now, notice he said here, there are life unto those who find them, health to all their flesh. Now then, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence. Why do you keep your heart with all diligence? Because you just deposited the word of God in your heart, verse 21. That's what you've done. You've heard and you saw the word of God and you put it in your heart. Now, when you get in there and lock it in, keep it with all, lock and load almost said. But uh, now that you're loaded, go ahead and lock. Get the word of God on the inside of your heart, lock it in. Don't let nobody take it out. There's a world of people out there right now wanting to take out the Word of God in your life. Let me tell you something. Whenever they burn the Bible in the streets of Oregon and they burn it in other major cities of the world and get the Bible and throw it in there, they're burning a book. But what they want to do is burn that out of your heart. That's what they want. They want to get the Word of God out of your heart and out of your life. And what we need to do is this. We need to deposit the word of God into our life, and we need to be diligent. I'm watching over this thing. I'm not going to let go of it, no matter what the world says, no matter what doubt and unbelief says, or fear and failure says, or what the devil himself says, or demon spirits say, or watchers say, or fallen angels. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whatever anybody else says, we're going to lock this word in our heart. It is secure there. We're holding on. We ain't letting go. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Let's look at with that in mind. With that in mind, look with me in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians, chapter 2 and verse 10, with that kind of thinking. So what's that saying? That's saying now that you're going to be attentive, you're going to be listening and looking, you're wanting to find something in my message today, something in the Word of God that I'm going to share with you today, something that's going to touch your life and going to take you to a new level in your life. It's going to take you to a place in your life of opportunity, a place of blessing, a place of obedience, a place of doing what God wants you to do, a place of victory. How many knows there is victory in Christ Jesus? There is, isn't there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I thank Him. So look with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me get there, make sure I'm going to be there. Ephesians chapter 2. And look about verse 10, I believe, is what I've been reading. You could read others to get us there. But verse 10 basically says, For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Been created unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a plan that he has already ordained and preordained that you walk in that plan. There is an ordinance that God has put forth. There is a ruling. There is a decree that has come down from the Father. And it is that you have been created and made by God Almighty, and you are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I'm created to do good stuff. I'm created to walk righteously, do the good things of God. The Bible said in the Amplified Bible this way. It says that for us, our talking or taking paths, which them living the good life, which he has prearranged, made ready for us to live. God's already got it ready. How many likes to come into the house and uh, have supper on the table? You know that kind of language? I remember my grandmother years ago, sometime we ate at grandmother's house, and wow, when you walk in grandma's house, it smelled good. 
you could smell it outside and got in and you just couldn't wait. And then grandma would come to the uh, door where we all be sitting and she'd be like, well, it's on the table now. I've already prepared it. It's on the table. It's, it's ready for Ewans to all come and eat. <laughs> you were glad you were one of the Ewans, weren't you? It's, it's ready to come and eat, Grandma said. It's ready. And go in there and begin to eat those real biscuits that she had made. Oh, Lord. And had cooked them on a wood stove where it put little, little pieces of wood in the end of it and set the fire on it and had the little warmer on it and that kind of stuff, little black stove at the bottom, sort of white at the top, that kind of thing. Cook on, and, and had that corn. I mean, it wasn't just corn that you get out of a can. It wasn't Jolly Green Giant. No, there wasn't about no giant on that thing. No, Grandma had taken that corn and took her knife and whittled it off, I say. You know, all around that corn cob like that. Put it in that black frying pan. Woo, Lord, we're getting all hungry in here, ain't we? Oh, Lord. Woo, Grandma knew how to cook, didn't she? She sure did. And Sheila told me when I got married, I can't cook, Leon. I can't cook. I said, okay. But she's helped me out over the years. We've learned. We've learned a little bit. But God's good to us. And look at the word of God like that. God's prepared a table for you. It's ready. Go ahead and sit down at the table of his word. Sit down at the table of the Bible. And sit there and just feed yourself on the word of God. Feed yourself on the Bible. Let it do something to you today. He's prepared a plan for us. We've looked at that. We've talked about it. And several different ways, basically looking at that this plan just does not happen in your life automatically. It's not just like that when you get saved that all of a sudden everything is turned good, everything is all right. I mean, you know, it's not that way. Your spirit has been changed and you've been reborn. And there you are, a brand new creation in God, but you're still in this world that we live in and there's still circumstance, environmental things going on around you. And what you have to do is learn something now. You have to have your mind renewed. You have to stop living the way you used to live. You've got to stop believing the things you used to believe. Quit walking the way, the way you used to walk. You've got to change every bit of that. If you keep walking that walk and talking that talk, you're going to keep on having what you've always had and what the world wants to give you. And what the world wants to give you sure ain't much. Amen? It isn't much. And anything that, it, it, be suspicious if the world wants to give you something. All of these kind of things that are going on in the earth today, be very careful about what they want to tell you that you need to do and what they're forcing you to do and what they're going to make you do in their mind and their heart, that kind of thing. You've got to be very careful because when the world and the devil is sort of spoon-feeding us, it's usually spoon-feeding us its lies and deceit and failure and ungodliness and wickedness, and I don't want any part of it. Somebody say amen. We don't. We don't. And so... We're feeding ourselves on the Word of God, and we're making habits in our life that cause the things of God to be real to us. It's not just something we read and, you know, say, oh, that's great, that's wonderful. I think I'll make me a little flower of that. And that's okay. It's okay to do that because I've done that. Or I'll make a little Post-it note sticking on my refrigerator. And I do that too. That's okay. I've, I've done lots of things along those lines in, in my life. But it's, it's more than just a little saying. It's more than just a little thought. It is a thought. It is a little saying. It is all those things. But it's more than that. It's a real principle that you and I can live and we can die on. I mean, it's a life and death word of God that is available that God has given to us. And it will literally bring change to our life. But we've got to put it in a habit. 
We've got to make it continual in our life. Not just drop in one time or drop into the word here and the word there and say that was good and while it lasted. No. Get in the word of God. Stay in the word of God and do it and duplicate it and do it over and over and over and over and over. This last week, and, and thank God for the economy that God's uh, given us, even right in the midst of everything that's going on. My, it's just great. It really is. Some good stuff is happening. And we passed a milestone this week in our, our life that we've worked for for many years in our life. And, and we thank God for it. But it didn't just happen this week. We didn't pass that milestone this week. That milestone went back years and years of us doing the things that God had told us to do and properly walk, watching after our financial situation to get us to this place that we're at now. And, uh, but it was something we do by habit. It's not something we just do one time and quit. You have to stay habitually about the things. I hear people sometimes talk about investing, for example. And they'll say, what I'm going to do is when I get my tax return back, then I'm going to get some money there, and I'm going to take that and invest it. That's okay if you want to do that, but that is not the kind of investing that will make you rich. If you're waiting on some kind of windfall or some kind of extra money that you're going to deposit or put aside to invest, it, that, that won't do much for you. Oh, it'll do, you know, it'll do what it does. If you don't ever touch it, it might sort of stay where it's at. But what's going to help you is when you do something consistently. Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, and you consistently make investments into your financial life. It's the same way with the Word of God. You can drop in on the Word of God and say, well, you know, I'm going to do what God said do. The Bible teaches me about the Word of God being life to me, so I'm going to read the Bible. And you might just really be fired up, and you read the Bible for, I don't know, an hour and a half today. And you just stay in that Word. Wow, man, I'm into the Word. But then you don't touch it tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Or the week after that, and you get cold, and you get far away, it seems like. And, you, and the, what you read, you don't half remember it, half know, all that kind of stuff. No, what you got to do is regularly, daily, hourly, if you will, deposit the Word of God in your life until it becomes you, until it becomes a habit in your life. Then change takes place in your life. That's when change happens. Okay, we've been looking at it. We've talked about the habit of, of prayer. We've talked about the habit of uh, studying the Bible and reading the Bible and Bible study. And most recently, we've been talking about the habit of our witness. We've looked at the fact that Christ came into the world to save the lost. That's why he came. He came here to save sinners. And there are sinners in the world, and there are righteous people in the world. Somebody say amen. They are. And Christ came to save sinners. Paul said, hey, I was a big sinner when Christ came to save me. And he came and he saved me. We looked at that in Scripture. We saw that Jesus just didn't do that in the synagogue or the temple. But he went into the house with Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And he went into his house and his home for the specific purpose of witnessing and, and bringing the kingdom of God unto Zacchaeus. And he did that, and salvation came to his house that day. Yes, he ministered in church or, or in synagogues and in temples. But where the soul winning activity is taking place is where the sinners are, where the people who do not know God are. I saw a young man this, this last week. I mean, I've seen several, and I like to watch them sometimes. You can go into YouTube, and you can watch some of our street preachers across America and different people who are, are ministering in that kind of ministry. And I see some of them go at different cities and different places where people are gathered, and, and they're preaching the gospel and teaching and, and, and doing their best to, to, to communicate the Word of God in all kind of different forms and literally getting cussed out and literally getting hit and smacked and uh, you know almost run over with cars and some shot all kind of things like that and then others are responding 
and others are, are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ in brokenness and sorrow and shame for their sins. But you know what? In this house today, I, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm, I'm praying you will before the service is over. But, but I'm persuaded most of us in here, we know the Lord Jesus. And we're here, so we're probably not going to get anybody here saved today. Because that's why we came, because we were saved. And we wanted to worship and know God. And we wanted to learn to live for him better and just, just love him and celebrate his goodness. That's why we're here today. And so if we're going to do any soul winning, if we're going to reach the lost, it's got to happen outside of the church doors of America. I heard a very famous, I'm going to mention him, very famous pastor the other day uh, said this, that he was so tired, so tired. And this is what he said. Pastor's a very large church. He said he was so tired of getting the people saved that just came from the last church that got saved at the last church that got saved at, at the last church that got saved at. And he said, mostly what comes to the church is somebody that's been somewhere else. And he talked about the fact was that very few, just people that do not know God, never known God, walk in the doors of the church. That most of the time when you have visitors to our churches and that kind of thing, most of them came from another church. How many can testify to that? Say amen. That's, that's usually what's going on. It's usually what's happening. So if we're going to reach the lost, you've got to get outside the church. I got to get outside of church. We have to be outside of this church building. It's just not going to take place in here unless the sinners come in. Now, if the sinners come in on occasion, of course the church will minister to their need, that kind of thing. But the majority of people that do not know God are outside these doors. And that's why Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house because he wasn't in the temple. He wasn't in the synagogue. He was at his house. He was in the street when he met him, and he went to his home. And there he received salvation. We looked at that. We saw that the believer's number one purpose in life is to do what Jesus has done because Jesus said, just like the Father called me, I've called you. And we're supposed to be doing the same thing. We saw last week that Paul talked about that he would warn and he would teach. Some people need to be taught the word of God. Some people need to be warned. How many knows there's a difference? Amen. There is. And sometimes we need, if you have a person who's received Christ as Lord and they have a humble spirit and they're just like a sponge and they're just ready to learn, hey, teach them, teach them. Deposit the word of God into their life. Show them, disciple them, mentor them, bring them along in the ways of God. But there are others that are not at that place and they need to be warned, you better get right with God because judgment day is coming. Amen. And there's some people in on the United States of America need to be warned. You need to get right with God. Your day, my day, all of our day is coming to stand before the judgment of Almighty God. Now, for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, we will face the judgment seat of Christ where Christ rewards us for things done good or bad in the body. And we, we go to that kind of a judgment. We don't face the white throne judgment. But for sinners and people that do not know God, those people would die with sin in their life. Those people go and stand before the white throne of judgment of God, and you don't want to be there. That's not the place you want to be because everybody in the book of Revelation that stands before the white throne of judgment, everybody that stands there, everyone is cast into the lake of fire. And that's where this world is headed except they repent. Jesus said, you'll all perish if you do not repent. Luke chapter 13, he said it two different times in the first five or six verses right there. You'll all perish if you do not repent. When John the Baptist came, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. The kingdom of God. Change your mind. Change your ways. Change the way you live. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that is a message that's still appropriate for you and I today. And so, so we looked and saw some things there, warning and teaching. We looked into the scripture just last week a little bit more as we, we studied on this. And we, and we saw that the, in the New, New Testament church, that's what they were doing. They were teaching daily. 
in every house and in the temple daily, breaking bread and preaching and teaching the word of God house to house, and great ministry was taking place. Look with me to Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Let me show you something that, that needs to happen in the day and age that you and I live in. Luke chapter 14. Let me get there on my little pad deal here. And verse 15. There's a little parable that Jesus gave, and it has to do with the kingdom of God and the building of the kingdom of God. And, and see if it doesn't fit our world that we are in today. In Luke chapter 14, verse 15. When one of them sat at meat with him, Jesus, and heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You've heard about the marriage supper of the Lamb that's to take place after the rapture of the church. It is part of the entrance festivals and celebrations as we go into the kingdom of God. And so here Jesus is talking about eating bread in the kingdom of God. That's it. Now he's going to get real natural. Now, now what is a parable? A parable is a natural story that you know about that will describe to you things that you don't know about. In other words, we don't know about the kingdom of God. We don't know about spiritual matters. So Christ gives us a natural illustration that explains to us something we can all understand and says, now that's how the kingdom of God is working. So how is it that we are to get people into the kingdom of God? Verse 16, then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper or a feast or a banquet, and he asked many to come to it. In other words, he's going to have one more blowout. I mean, he's going to have, you know, around here, what would we say? He's having a big barbecue, or he's having a, a fish fry. A big fish fry that he might be going to have. Whatever's taking place, and he's going to go out and invite some people to come to this big banquet and dinner that he's made. Verse 17, and he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden or asked to come, come now for everything's ready. The table is spread. Everything's ready to go. The food is prepared. The servants are waiting to prepare your plate for you individually, and there's room in the house for you. Come on. Go out and tell them all to come. Now, notice that those that were invited, these are some invited guests. Uh, you can back off just a little bit and look and recognize what Christ is saying through this parable also is that Jesus came to this earth to say to the Jewish people, to, to, to say to his blood family, come into the kingdom of God. And they are invited but how many knows that the gospel that preached was preached also to the Greek and to the Gentile? And you'll see that played out in this story. And so he says here, everything's ready, verse 18. For they all with one accord uh, consent began to make excuses. I can't come. Now, you know what? We don't have that opportunity to happen all the time. You, you, you fix a free meal around this place, you won't get some people to show up. Somebody say, Amen. You are, you are, you can get some folks say that. But they're saying, we got an excuse, we can't come. We can't come. We know you got it ready, we know it's prepared, and we know that there's bread for this kingdom of God, but, but we can't come. Now notice what one says. I, I bought a piece of ground, and, and I need to go see it. And would you excuse me? In other words, I got some land, I got some property, I got a house, I got big plans right here. Stuff is taking place at my home, and, and, and I can't come. Wish I could, but I can't come. I'll be with you in spirit, though, but I won't be there. 
How many ever heard that? Say amen. Well, they can't come. They can't come. If you're not with us in spirit, or you're not flesh, then I'm going to eat your piece of chicken. But anyway, I can't come. I can't come. They got an excuse. And remember, Jesus has given this parable. Verse 19, another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I got to go test them, prove them, make sure they're what they are. I pray you let me be excused. Now, I want you to notice something about both of these excuses. It's not really working too well. Wait a minute, you've already bought these ox, now you've got to go see if they're okay? Uh, you've already bought this land, now you've got to go look at it? Some of this stuff is just excuses. Man, that old little uh, gospel song people used to sing years ago, excuses, excuses, you hear them every day. The devil will provide them if from church you'll stay away. You ever that? And excuses, 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 excuses. I've always looked at situations and circumstances in our life like this. That um, I, I do it like this. I say, now then, if this was happening for school in our school children, would I stay away because of what's happening? I say, well, yes or no. Uh, what about my work situation? If this was happening uh, in my work situation, would I stay away from work, yes or no? And then I always sum it up like this. It don't matter whether I'd stay away from work or school because church is a whole lot more important than work or school. And so if I'm not going to stay away from work or school for this excuse, I sure ain't going to stay away from church for this excuse. But people have these excuses. This is why I can't do this. This is why I can't do something else. People have all kind of of excuses. Look at this next one, verse 20. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. That sounds like that, that same story that Adam said. Who sinned, Adam? It was her. It was Eve. That woman you gave me. That woman you gave me. Men have said that throughout the centuries and just don't let up on it. But anyway, I got a wife. Therefore, I can't come. Well, he could have went and talked to his wife like most of you do today. He said, honey, can I go to church today? No, I'm just kidding you. I'm just kidding you. Y'all going to tar and gravel me after the service is over today. But anyway, no. Now, I got this wife, and I can't come now. Now, now uh, again, recognize this. I've married a wife, and I can't come. Uh, in, in, in Jewish community during this time, when you first got married, you didn't even have to go anywhere for the next year. I mean, you couldn't be called up to go to war. There were a lot of things you didn't have to do when you got married. Man, they, they, they had them honeymoons. It was a honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> for over a year. Ooh, that's a long time, wasn't it? <laughs> Sheila and I got married on a Friday night at 7 o'clock. We said, why you did that? Because I didn't get off work till 4. And then I was back at work on Monday morning at 7. Because we didn't have no money to go anywhere anyway, so we had to do that. So, and we, didn't, we just got married and in and out and back to work, and let's keep on going. And so anyway, but here, I can't come. I done married this woman, I can't come now. Verse 21, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. He comes back and tells the man that gave the big feasts and big banquets, look, I invited these people and they can't come. How come they can't come? Well, one's got this land deal he's working on. Uh, another's got this business deal with these five yoke of oxen he's got out there. He just bought him a brand new Maserati and he's got to go drive it for the weekend. He can't come. And, you know, and, and so other people, they just got married and they ain't coming. I don't know when they're going to be back from Las Vegas, but they ain't coming. Uh, you know, he's got married. And so he comes and tells him all these things. Then the master of the house was angry. I'm telling you a parable of Jesus, right? A story. Jesus ain't happy when you, me, and give excuses why we can't enter into the things of God. 
Now, I know that don't make us feel good, but that's the truth. Jesus ain't happy. In fact, the Bible says there's anger. What do you mean you can't come? And I think about it like this. What do you mean? I sent my son to die on a cross. Did he say he couldn't come? When they whipped him with that whip, did he say he was not going to get crucified now? When they nailed him to the cross, did Jesus say, I'm just going ahead and call them 10,000 angels right now and be done with this? No. And if he did all that for me and you, I don't have an excuse. And you don't either. Somebody say amen. amen. We ain't got no excuse. No, no. Look what he said. And so his Lord became angry. Angry. Servant came, showed the Lord his thing. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, well, go out quickly into the streets. Now, these are other people were personally invited. Now we're going to give a general invitation because the people in the streets, uh, you know, wouldn't get to come. So now they're taking it to the streets, and it goes into the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it's done. And you as you commanded, and there's still room. I, I went and did that. I went and asked everybody in the street, come on in. They did, but we still got a lot more room. We still got a lot more room. Verse 23, and the Lord said to the servant, go out into the highways. Go out into the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden will taste of my supper. But to fill up his house... He wants to fill it up with people in the highways and the hedges. Notice he said, verse 23, go out. Somebody say, go out. Go out. Go out. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel. The word from compel there is the word necessate or necessary. Make it necessary that people come into this banquet that I've given. You've got to come. You can't say no to this banquet. Please, you've got to come. I know that you've got other things to do. I know you've got other plans with your life. I know people are calling at your attention, but you can't let this opportunity pass you up. You've got to come. Make it necessary. That's what compel means. You don't have any other opportunity. What will happen to you if you don't? What does the Christian church say? Well, I guess it's just not their time right yet. They'll come when they get ready. They'll be all right. Don't bother them. Don't bother them now. Oh, no, you wouldn't want to offend them. You wouldn't want to get them upset. Oh, don't do that. Ooh, no, 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 no. Don't bother them at all. No, compel them. It's necessary. You better get yourself into the kingdom of God. You better not miss this thing. There's a lot of things you can miss in life, a lot of things you can be late for in life. But you better not be late because if you're late, you will miss it, and you better not miss this thing. You miss it now. When you breathe your last breath, it's all over. Ain't got a second chance. It's over. Ain't no purgatory waiting for nobody. That you're going to go there and get punished just a little bit until you finally get good enough and we burn just enough candles to get you out of purgatory and then finally get you measly limping on into heaven. Ain't going to happen. Ain't in the Bible. It's an illusion and a myth of religion. Amen? Amen? Amen. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. You got one chance. You got one opportunity. It's now. The people you meet there have one chance. It's one opportunity. People outside the doors of the church have one chance. One opportunity. That's it. It's this life. 
It's, it's take it or you've lost everything. Take advantage of it, receive Christ Jesus, make him Lord of your life, or if you've lost it all, it's all over. You ain't going to no banquet. You're not going to enter in, as it said, the very first verse we read in verse 15, the kingdom of God. Not going to happen. Had a, had a call for someone earlier this week, and it's not important who it was, but got a call from someone earlier this week who is, is at an end-of-life situation. And, uh, uh, you know, under this lockdown and stuff and virus stuff that's going on out there, that kind of stuff, I haven't been out in anybody's homes uh, since they locked down the state of South Carolina and this kind of stuff going on and uh, for, for, for a number of reasons. And can't go to nursing homes. I miss that so much. Uh, can't go to older folks' homes. Can't go to the hospitals. Uh, can't do a lot of things. I just lock the doors and lock you out. I, I've, you know, I've had to, uh, one place that when I attempted to do, I uh, had security guard and called on me. I mean, you, you, they just, you know, it's strange. But uh, this person called me on the phone, and they're at the end of life. And they said, oh, I want to make sure that I'm right with God. And so right then... That decision to make sure they were right for God and said, you know, I'm not able to leave my home. Would you come and would you come into my home and would you pray with me? And so I said, you know, I said, this is circumstances going on. You sure that you're not able? No, I'm not able to leave. Okay, I'll come. I'll come. And there's a lot of ramifications that goes into that. If I were to take something into somebody's home, I understand that. I understand that could be a circumstance of legality. I understand a lot of things that could go on. I, I know that. And I wouldn't want to do something that would hurt or harm someone else. Not at all. I wouldn't want to be responsible for that. Just on a, a personal level, I wouldn't want to do that in a lot of kind of ways that, that we look at. But at the same time, this young fella that, that called me is about to go into eternity. And whether he goes in eternity, knowing Jesus or not knowing Jesus, is worth anything I got to risk. It's worth anything I got to risk. And I did. And I went to his home. And I knelt with him in his living room. And with tears in his eyes led him to the throne room of Jesus Christ. That's worth everything. That's worth everything. And so there are times in our life when we have to compel it's necessary it's necessary to do some things. Absolutely, there's things we need to do in life. Some stuff ain't necessary. In the Christian church, sometimes we put a lot of unnecessary things in front of the necessary stuff. And it's just, just not necessary. It, 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 you know, and, and we need to look at things like that in our life so that we can continue to be a witness because that's the most important thing in our life. We need to do some compelling. And so, you know, what? I want you to think about people in your family. Think about some of your relatives. Think about some of your friends. Think about some of the people that you live beside of, your neighbors. Think about some people around you. It is necessary that you speak to them about Jesus. Amen. They ain't going hear to hear it when they turn on that television. They'll hear a lot of things, I mean, unless they turn it to the right place. And, you know, very seldom do people actually turn on Christian channels or Christian ministries. And some that they do turn, turn on is a joke and a game. I, I saw some of the most ridiculous stuff the other day watching this particular pastor of this church. And, wow, he dressed up, man. He had it all on. He had robe from top to bottom, had a little bent hat and a big old chain around and a cross this long and that kind of stuff on top of him. Wow. Well, he looked religious. He really did. 
They were lighting candles left and right all around him. They were bringing in censers and holding crosses on a stick. And they were, you know, they were, they were doing all kind of religious stuff. Every bit of it religious, but almost a third of the people that were helping and participating in that service were homosexuals. And what kind of godliness are you going to get out of that? You're not. You're not. But you know what? For you and me and others, not just us in this church, but you and me and others, other wonderful Christian people in our communities, in our towns, our cities in South Carolina, for us that will go out and, and, and share a faithful witness with someone, someone can receive a lot from you and me. They can receive deliverance from their sins as you and I bring them that ministry. And sometimes they say no, and sometimes they say, you know, not now. Sometimes they say all kind of stuff, but, but it doesn't matter. Most of the things I've been blessed with in my life came after somebody said no. They really did. I mean, no just don't mean nothing anymore. And when I first heard a no years ago, I said, well, you know, and I kept on going after that. But I just learned over the years, when people say no, it don't mean no. I mean, just keep on going, keep on asking, keep on talking, find another way, another avenue, another way around. They can change their mind. Something can happen. And, and you can do that. And when people talk to you about their, you talk to them about their soul condition and that circumstance of their life, you know, you, you might get some no's and there might be some solid no's. But that's when we go into the compelling part of it. Wait a minute, this is necessary. I'm not just inviting you to church. Now the government, other people like to shut down the churches where you can't invite anybody to church. That's, that's their goal. That's what they want to do. Many things like that. This, this, this shutdown has hurt churches like you wouldn't believe around this place. There's some people who've walked away from things of God who will not walk back. It's amazing. It is amazing what a little virus has done to some people. A little virus where less than, you know, 1% of the people get it, and 99% of the people get it live. And we did all this just for that. It's just an amazing thing has happened. Well, anyway, don't let me go any further now. Look with me. Let's go on just a little bit further here. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Now, why is it that you and I need to go and compel people to come in? Why is it necessary? Why, why do we need to? We've talked about the person's individual responsibility and, and their need to have Christ in their life, and it's their only need, and they better receive him or else. In Matthew 9, Jesus did it like this. He said this. He said, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. Notice he's going cities and villages. Cities and villages. But notice where the teaching takes place. In their synagogues. You see that thing that we're sort of putting together? Teaching is happening in the synagogues. But in the cities and villages, notice, and preaching. There's a difference in preaching and teaching. And so this preaching is going out, and maybe some in the synagogues, but primarily to the cities and villages, the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching, he's teaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. And what is he doing? He's healing every sickness, every disease among the people. There is not a sickness, there is not a disease that Jesus cannot heal. And the Bible says that's what he's doing. He's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And he didn't stop just because he went back to heaven. He's just orchestrating and administrating this thing from heaven now. Healing of every sickness and disease is still in the earth today, and that's one reason you and I have that we have no fear of the coronavirus. Amen? Amen. Amen. We can be healed of every sickness and disease. Don't get this. This might take you under. Could it take some people under? Yes. Has it took people under? Yes. But Jesus is a healer of it. Amen? 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 
And we'll stand on our faith and activate our faith as the Bible teaches us that we ought to and, and believe what the Bible. I heard F. F. Bosworth say this just yesterday. I was listening to him. And he said, I, I, it's the first time I ever heard him. I've read his book, Christ the Healer and some other, The Real Faith, several other things that he'd done over the years. But he went away and passed away uh, several years and went to the Lord's uh, kingdom in heaven. I believe it. I'm thinking in, in the early 60s, I believe, where, where it took place. And uh, he's been gone a long, long time. And I didn't know that any of his recordings was out there. But I heard some of them that was way back in the 40s that we had done on a wire and different things and got his recording out there that he had done. And, and he talked about this thing of redemption being applied for you and me, available for you and me. And we have redemptive rights. They are there for us. And healing of every sickness and every disease is part of our redemptive rights. And he said the easiest way to receive that is just go ahead and act like you got it. Amen. Act like you got it. A man who traveled the world with William Branham and some others, but a man who traveled the world bringing healing and deliverance to multitudes of people said, the easiest way for you to receive something from God is just go ahead and act like you got it. He also said most of the people receive from God, not from the laying on of hands, but from them hearing the word of God, believing it, applying it into their life, and acting like they got it. That's what faith is. Well, Jesus is out there preaching. He is, he's teaching. He's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Wow, it's great. I mean, that's, everybody said, we need more of that today. Jesus, you know, we wish you were here doing this, all this today. People make those kind of statements. But notice what he says. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, multitudes of people, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They didn't have anybody to care for them. Uh, they, they were like sheep that's going all different kind of directions. They didn't have a central purpose. There was no one to care for them, to tell them when to come in, when to go out, to supply their, their, their daily food for that day. They, they have no shepherd. And, and Jesus has compassion. He's moved for the need of the people. There's a multitude, verse 36. Multitudes there. What does Jesus say? Well, I'll go be their shepherd. Well, I'll go there and, and I'll take care of the sheep. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say he's going to do that. What does Jesus do? Verse 37, then he said to the disciples. How many of our disciples say amen? amen? He said to you, the harvest truly is plenteous. Does anybody think this world has a shortage of sinners? That's the harvest. Sinners are the harvest. People who do not know God are the harvest. People who have not received Jesus Christ are the harvest. He says here, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's not many people going out into the harvest. There's not many people going out. There's all kind of stuff out there, Jesus is saying. It's ready. Jesus, another place, said the grain's ready. Wow, the fields are wide, ready to harvest. Where's everybody at? They're ripe. They're ready for the picking. It's there now. But where are the people? Where are the people? Where are the laborers? Jesus gives the answer, verse 38. Pray. Pray what? Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest. God Almighty, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Do you know that you could be an answer to Jesus' prayer? We always want Jesus to answer our prayers, don't we? We always want God to answer our prayers. We're always crying to God and say, Lord, answer our prayers. Well, why don't you and I answer his prayer? Because what he prayed was this. Got a big job to do. 
There's a lot of work ahead of us. The harvest is ready. It's plenteous. There's more than enough. And Jesus said, while I could be healing and the sick of every sickness, every disease, while I could be preaching, while I could be teaching, there's multitudes. There's more there than the ministry of Jesus on this earth was able to take care of. Multitudes. Multitudes. When Jesus was on this earth, he could be at one place at one time. He was in a physical body. But there's multitudes that need him. Multitudes need salvation. Multitudes need healing of every sickness and disease. Multitudes of people are out there. And what is Jesus' answer? His answer is, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers and workers in his harvest. Jesus needs some help. And the question is, really, is are you and me going to help? That's the question. There's the need. There's the drastic consequences of not having that need met in eternity. And then there are the workers, you and I. The question is, are we going to show up for work today? Are we going to show up for work at this harvest? The harvest is plenteous. God is counting on me. And God is counting on you. Say this, stretch your hands forward to heaven. Say this, say, God, I know you are counting on me. You're counting on me. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let me just show you a little something there that tells you just who you are. You are valuable. You are important to God. It is a necessary component of our Christian life that we learn who we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Scripture tells us this, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. How many are saved and born again? Say amen. amen. That means you are a new creature. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. How, how do we describe that? Well, old things are passed away. That means the old rot and sin and bondage that the devil had over us, the dominion that he had, we are freed from the devil's dominion. That's one of the greatest things I like about salvation. I don't have to let the devil push me around anymore. I am free from him, free from the devil's dominion. It's like when someone was arguing with me. It's been, I don't know, a month or two ago now, I guess, and you get it constantly. But they'll say, oh, no, you still got to sin a little bit every day. Well, the Bible says that we are free and old things have passed away. They're passed away. They're done. That's what salvation is, freeing you from the devil's dominion. Notice what he said, all things are passed away. What happened? All things became new. Got a new life now. I am living this new life in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what he said, verse 18. All things are of God. All this new stuff, now it's of God. It, it, it's all of God. Everybody say, wall to wall, God. That's what all things are of God. What did God do? He reconciled us to himself. In other words, he, he made us one with him. How many ever reconcile your bank statements? You ever do that? And years ago, when I was in accounting, one of the things I had to do on a monthly basis was reconcile bank statements uh, for the corporation that I worked for. And then, of course, we uh, did it ourselves and that kind of stuff. And I even reconciled them so much I developed my own form. I never liked the one that the bank said reconcile on, and it didn't make sense to me. I didn't like it, and there's a better way to do it. And we create a new form to, uh, to reconcile on. And then we use that now in our home now that we use. It makes it a lot easier. And uh, I just keep our accounts so that we have a reconcile. Reconcile means you look for it, and you find something's wrong, and you make it right. And, and what we do, we, we make it toward the right method. If the bank makes a mistake, and they do sometimes. Or if you made a mistake, and you do sometimes. 
what you do, you bring it to what is right. You correct it. And what the Bible tells about us is that Christ Jesus has, all things are of God, he has reconciled, he has made us right. He's made us right. You can say like that, he's made us righteous. But he's made us right unto himself by Christ Jesus. Everybody say, I've been made right. I have been made right in Christ Jesus. And hath given unto us. We've been given something. Unto us a ministry. Somebody says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Now you do. You're about to know in one second. A ministry of reconciliation. A ministry of reconciling. We have a ministry of making people right. People that are out of sync. They are out of balance with God. There is a discrepancy in their life. And it is our ministry, our task to make them right. To reconcile people to God. I have a ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say, I have a ministry of reconciliation. That's what we have, a ministry of reconciliation. To wit, or this is what's going on, King James language. To wit, that God was in Christ. God was in Christ. What was he doing? Reconciling the world into himself. In other words, that's what Jesus is all about. He came to earth to reconcile or make right sinful man and to bring man once again back into relationship, fellowship, communion with the Father. The Father wanted relationship with his creation. His creation was lost and walked away from God the Father and joined the ranks of the enemy, Satan himself. And so God sent Jesus to bring back the sinner who had pledged his allegiance to Satan and to bring him back and now to reconcile him back to God, to do away with the old things of Satan and his dominion over us and to bring us under the dominion of the kingdom of Almighty God. That's what Jesus came to do. But it wasn't just Jesus. It's me and you. That is our job. That is what we are supposed to be doing in life. That's our task. That's our calling. And there's nothing any more vital and nothing more, any more important than I walk out and I simply say to someone that I witness to them, that I put grace and I put mercy upon their life, and I say, Jesus loves you. We love you. I mean, you know what? There ain't nobody here to condemn you. It doesn't mean they're not condemned. Because Jesus said they're condemned already. It's just not mine, your job to go condemn people. Amen? Amen. But they are condemned if they're sinners. They are condemned. But that's just not why we're coming. We're coming to tell them you don't have to be condemned any longer. You can be set free from your sins. You can be delivered from a devil's hell. You you, you can be made right with the Father, and there will be therefore no condemnation within you anymore. That's what we are saying to people. And so notice he said, we're in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world and himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. There it is again. We just read it in verse 18. Verse 18 said he'd given it to us, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says he's committed it unto us, the word of reconciliation. We have a word of reconciliation. The Father has sent Christ Jesus. You no longer have to be bound in your sins. You you no longer have to suffer the effects of the fall. You no longer have to be under what the devil has put over you. You don't have to be bound anymore. There is not an addiction that can hold you. 
There is not a sickness or disease that can hold you. There is no poverty that can hold you and keep you down. You are free. Jesus Christ came to pronounce to you, this is the year of the Lord. You are free. The Son of God has made you free. Do you accept it and do you receive it? That's the gospel message. That's the gospel story. We are free. But they're not going to hear it on CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, any other radio stations that we can think. That's, that's just not the message. That is, these, these stations, they don't have some of the ones that you may even like the best of some of those I just mentioned. They've been told, you don't say stuff about this sin. You don't say stuff about that. We will put you off of the air for it. Do you know that? You say, is that happening? Listen, in 1979, James Robinson. How many of you have seen James and Betty Robinson? My, my James and Betty Robinson story was, Cecil and I, we met them. It's been several years ago, a number of years ago. But we met James and um, Betty Robinson, and I was somewhere else doing something else, and Sheila was there, and she, they were sitting on the couch, and she was talking to him. She come back. She said, hey, I just met uh, uh, James and Betty Robinson. I said, you did? She said, yeah. I said, you get a picture? She said, yeah, I got one. And she showed me the camera and looked, and I said, yeah, that's James and Betty. But Sheila, where are you at? Why didn't you put yourself in that picture? But anyway, she, she took a picture of him, but not of her with them. But anyway, she didn't do it. But James Robinson in 1979 was told by at that point, one of the major networks, you will not preach anymore about homosexual sin. And they took him off the air in 1979. You ever wonder why you don't hear a whole lot about it coming from preacher's mouths today? On the, on the television radio? That's why. That's why. And so you're not going to get the gospel by turning on most every, Christian, or most every radio station or television station. Now, there's a few Christian stations out there that are putting the gospel out. There are a few. You, you just about, if you want to hear Christian ministry, you just about nowadays got to get on YouTube. It, it, and some of it, they're not letting it through. But you just about got to get on YouTube or see a Facebook video to get a real gospel message nowadays. Because what's coming across general airways throughout America is being shut down and shut down fast. And, and so with that being the case, how is the person going to know he's got a heart that's crying out for God that he don't know who he is or where he's at? He's, he's got a conscience that's telling what he's doing is wrong, but, but, but what is the right and what is the answer? That person is waiting for you and me, waiting for you and me to approach them with the love and grace and mercy of God, waiting for us to approach them and say, hey, you don't have to live this way. Your life don't have to be this way. I talked to a, 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 a man, it's been a few weeks ago, and uh, I say a few weeks, probably a, a couple months now, but I talked to him, I said, you don't have to live the way you're living. You don't have to do this. And, and, and really, he, at that point, he began to get sorrowful and that kind of stuff, and, and he shed a tear or something like, I wish I didn't have to. I said, you don't. I said, you can stop crying right now if you want to, because you don't have to just make a decision. Amen. That's all you got to do. Here's the real deal. This is the real deal. You don't have to live this way. The only reason you live this way is because you decided to. You can walk out anytime you want to. And I said, what, what you're asking me to do for you, you know, that ain't going to help you. Or if a thousand people line up behind me, you'll still be asking a thousand people the same thing. 
I said, if you want your life to be good and you want to be better, you're going to have to make some change in your life. Amen. And that same guy looked at me. He said, you know what? I like you. He said, you're shooting straight with me, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm shooting straight with you. I'm shooting straight. Yeah, that's how it is. And you can do that if you've been so many places in life. You can do it if you had. You can do it because the gospel tells you to do it. There are some people out there that need Jesus, and you and me are their answer. I'm their answer. You are their answer. Why? Because you're the one who got the ministry of reconciliation. It's been committed unto you. Not withdrawn, committed. It's been committed unto you. Notice what he said, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. A third time, my, my. I'm now representing Christ Jesus. I'm an ambassador for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. Paul said, this is how it's working by us. It's like God's talking to you through us. And whenever you speak to someone about Jesus, it's like God is talking to them through you. Amen. Some people say, I want to be God's mouthpiece. Well, you can. You can be God's mouthpiece. No, I want to sing in the choir. No, I want to preach. I'll do this and all these other kind of stuff. Well, good. Let's do some other stuff. That's fine. But you can be God's mouthpiece just talking to people about Jesus. Now, that's a greater mouthpiece, really, than a lot of these other things I just mentioned. It really is. We'll sing, we'll shout, we'll dance, we'll do all this good stuff. Fine. But more important than any of that is talking to somebody about Jesus. It really is. It's necessary. It's necessary. Compel. Notice, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. I'm talking to you instead of Jesus. Jesus is the one that gave the message. He gave it to me. He's not here that you can see. He's here, but not that you can see. And so in his stead, instead of him, it's me talking to you. Instead of him, it's me talking. The church has whined and cried for years and years, just send Jesus, just send Jesus. And it's Jesus' prayer is, I sent you. I sent you. That's Jesus' prayer. What it is, for he made him be sin for us, and you knew the sin that we made, he made the righteousness of God. The sin you now experience, Christ Jesus was made that sin. So that you don't have to be a sinner, you can be the righteousness of God. And that's the summation of the whole thing. We are his witnesses. We have the ministry of reconciliation. It's been given us. It's been committed to us. And we are ambassadors for Christ Jesus. Amen. And so we go out in the authority of the believer. We go out in the power that God has given us, exercising our rights in the community in this world that we live in with anybody and everybody. Everybody needs Jesus. Amen? Amen. You say, well, they already know Jesus. Well, good. Y'all team up together then. On somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Everybody knows Jesus. I mean, everybody needs to know him. And you and I, if you found somebody that already knows him, then get with him or someone else. God's good to us, and he'll help us do it. He'll be on your side. Witness to somebody. I'll, I'll tell you a great way to do it. I don't know what it is. In the last few weeks here, Sheila and I, we, we've been trying to eat places that are open, that kind of stuff, to help them out. We don't normally just eat there all the time. We don't. But we went to the clock, and we last two weeks in a row, we went to the clock. We ain't paid for a meal yet. I mean, it's hard. It's hard for somebody else to pay for your food. I don't like that. But anyway... We were there, and this fella comes over. He's like, oh, you know, God just told me to buy, buy your meal. I said, that's all right. We got money. It's okay. I know we might look like bums, but we got money. And he, he said, no, I want to pay for it. I said, okay. Okay. I said, well, Sheila, what are we going to do? He said, well, won't we just give the money and compare the meal to the waitress? And see, so we gave the waitress a $20 tip, just passed it on to her. Then the next week that we was there, uh, somebody else, we you didn't know what was going on. We were just sitting at our table eating away, and somebody else, and the waitress came by and picked up our ticket. I said, oh, Lord, she done forgot something. She's going to add more to it. But anyway, she never brought it back. I said, where's our ticket at? We've we got to pay our bill here. She said, no, that's taken care of. It's taken care of. Somebody else got that for you all day. They did. I said, well, good. We're just going to pass on what we're going to pay for that meal. We're going to give it to you, and we'll just bless you with it. Just keep passing on like that. And God, God will bless you. But what, what is it? It's good people are out there. And there's people that love you and people care about you. 
And so don't, don't think everybody you sit there doesn't know Jesus, but there's a lot of people that don't. And it might be some of them good people that run to your rescue with you to help you talk to them about Christ. People need Jesus. And you and I are the ambassadors that God has sent. Stand with me this morning. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and it's God's blessings on us. Jesus, Jesus. God Almighty. God Almighty. God Almighty. Bow your heads before the Lord. Father God, we stand before you, Lord God, as the body of Christ, Lord, valuable to you, Lord God, extremely valuable to you, Lord. And God, we stand here with a mission, with an ordination from heaven, with a commitment from heaven, Lord God, to represent you and be your ambassadors. May we rise to the challenge. May we rise to the occasion that we might be faithful, Lord, but more than our faithfulness, Lord, that we might have a genuine effect on other people's lives, that we really will be used of you to bring people into the kingdom of God. Stretch your hands toward heaven. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I thank you for what you have lovingly entrusted into my life. And now, Father God, I do. I rise to the occasion. I come to my place of responsibility. I'm with you, Almighty God. I am your ambassador. I do have a ministry that you have given me. I will go into my world, my family, my home, and I will bring the gospel of reconciliation. I will tell those who are lost they need Jesus. I will tell them there is love, there's compassion, there's healing coming from the Father. And all they need to do is receive. I'll be your mouthpiece. In the name of Jesus, I'll speak for you, almighty God. I give you praise. I give you glory. And in the Jesus name, I shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Come on, give my hand clap of praise. Come on. Come on. We're going to go into ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you leave today, tell somebody you got the calling today. Say, what? I was called into the ministry today. And when they say what, there you go. There you go. God bless you.